Hello, and welcome to ChaosCast, the Chaos Community Podcast, where we share use cases and experiences with measuring open source community health, elevating conversations about metrics, analytics, and software from the Community Health Analytics Open Source Software, or short, Chaos Project, to wherever you like to listen. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Honey Badger. When you need your code to be reliable, Honey Badger helps with uptime monitoring and contextualized error messages to save you time and money. Get started on Honey Badger today and get a 30% discount by mentioning ChaosCast when you sign up at honeybadger.io. Welcome to this episode. My name is Venia, and I am very, very excited to be your host for this episode today. We have a very special guest, as far as I'm concerned. Let's go ahead and start with panelists. We actually have Don Marty on the line with us. Hello, I'm Don Marty. I'm the former editor of Linux Journal, and I'm a member of the board for the Chaos Project. And Matt German Pratz. Hi, I'm Matt. It's nice to be here. I'm a faculty member, a professor at the University of Nebraska, Omaha, and also currently a co-director of the board of the Chaos Project. Thanks for having me. All right, wonderful. And I am Venia. I uh, run sociallyconstructed.online, and I'm a online community manager and full-stack marketer. And our guest that we have today is someone who's been very important for my career. We actually have Chris Mercer. He goes by Mercer at measurementmarketing.io. Pleasure being here. Yeah, co-founder of measurementmarketing.io. And I think you and I have known each other for many, many years now. Yeah, I think we met during my internship at Digital Marketer. That was trying to think here, 2017, 2018, maybe? Yeah, I think it was about three years ago. You're right. Time flies. Yep. Well, I'm very excited to start a conversation about the theory and the future of measurement. So I'd just kind of like to get to know you a little bit. Can you kind of tell everyone what exactly is measurement marketing? The way that we look at, at measurement marketing was I like trying to do whatever people do digitally. I try to find like the offline component because for me, it's like, Offline is real world, right? It's how people you know, buy stuff. Real world is how they should buy stuff online. And real world, people are having conversations all the time. And so when you go into a store, at least back in the day when you used to go into a store, you could you know, talk to a sales associate or something to purchase a product. And there was always conversations that were happening. When this whole digital thing happened and everybody moved digitally, I think a lot of people forgot conversations were still happening. It's just that the conversations are now between the users and your website in a lot of cases. In realizing that and getting back to that to say, okay, these are conversations that are going on and realizing for the most part, you have no idea what's happening. You can't, like if you're a salesperson in the store, you can, you can get an idea from their feedback and how they're talking and if they're picking stuff off the shelf and all that sort of stuff. And you understand how to move that conversation forward. Digitally, you can't do that by and large. Since people just sort of stopped, they never thought they could, but you can't. And it's by measurement do, you can do that. So for us, measurement marketing is that concept of listening and responding to the marketplace, whoever that is for you, however you define that. So that idea that somebody's coming to your site, they are having a conversation with your site and you can set up the measurement in a way so that you can listen to that conversation and then adjust your own messaging to actually help that conversation move forward in the direction it needs to. So for example, you might think somebody is going to you know, sign up for your list or whatever it is, or participate in whatever the next step is in, in their journey with your site, and they're not doing that. Well, if you're not measuring 
you don't necessarily know why that's happening. So you don't really know what to adjust and you end up having these brainstorming conversations where we should change the headline or we should change the design or maybe we should change the ads or the targeting or whatever the thing is. And you really don't know that that's going to impact anything because you're just guessing at the end of the day. But if you measure it, you can see things like, wow, they're actually getting the headline. They're considering the offer, but they're not actually taking the next step. So maybe it's the offer itself isn't clear enough. And maybe we adjust that. Now you have a very focused test that you can put into place to actually move, move the concept forward. So that's the idea of measurement marketing and why we created measuremarketing.io was to show people how to use tools that are completely free, like Google Analytics, like Tag Manager, like Google Data Studio, so that you could set this stuff up and then ultimately improve you know, whatever the results are that you're looking to achieve. So, so Mercer, how do you filter through all of the digital data that's available to us to make, make sure that this is somehow meaningful. That's a great <laughs> to question. An organization. Yeah. Big data is a thing. And, and it's, it's funny because I, I see that as a trend. I see a lot of, you know, big data and AI and we use machine learning and, and, you know, to some extent my eyes roll back. I'm like, Oh, this is, you know, just this nightmare of, of too much that's out there. I think a lot of people, when they first learn about measurement and digitally what they can do, the gut reaction is let's collect it all, right? Let's just measure for measure's sake. We'll have it all because you never know what we're going to need. And that ends up like if you literally did that in the, again, think offline. If you did that in the offline world, they would say you have a mental issue, right? You're called a hoarder. But data, for some reason, is fine to do that with. But it's, it's the exact same thing. Like, why are we collecting everything? We probably don't need to know this stuff. Instead, and this is, this is how you get through it, in my opinion, is you have a plan which people don't do as a, as a general thing. They just set up measurement, they start collecting everything, but there was no plan or intention for it. So it's mostly just warehoused. And then again, they probably aren't collecting it in the right way because they didn't plan for how they were going to use it. So it, it just ends up being this nightmare of big data that there's too much to get through and you don't know what to do with what you've got. So instead, we have these pillars that we created, starting with the plan, which is where you think first, okay, what questions am I trying to answer? What information will I need to get those answers? And then the most important question, what actions will I take based upon the answers I get? Just doing that, when you come to this point where you say, okay, I'm going to be able to take these specific actions, then you know it's worth measuring. A lot of times you will get to the point where you go, I actually don't know what I would do. In which case, you're probably just measuring for measuring's sake. It got caught up in this. And I'll give you a, a real world scenario of this. We had a client that we were training on how to do all this stuff. We're working with our teams. And they were learning about something called UTMs in Google Analytics, where you can track traffic sources. So they could basically tell when somebody clicks on one of your emails, you know which email they came from, right? So you know, you can tie the, the result, the email that, that clicked came from that email to a specific result that occurred. So they got all excited about this and they came back with their little UTM traffic tracking plan and they were setting it up so that they would know, literally, they would know which paragraph in the email the link was in when they clicked on it. And I was like, this is great. I love that you guys can do this. Super creative. Let me ask you a question. In six months, when you get this report that says, hey, paragraph number three is amazing. What do you do with that? And they all kind of looked around. And they were like, actually, we have no idea what we would do with that. Because what does that mean, paragraph number three? Does that mean, was it three short paragraphs? Was it three really long paragraphs? Was it, I mean, what actions do you take from that? And they realized instantly, okay, this is an example of us measuring for measuring sake. So why add that to the pile of data we have to sort through? Instead, just collect what you need to get the answers to the questions that you have, take actions upon those. Eventually, yes, you will start asking bigger questions because it's kind of like you know, every time you get answers, you kind of climb the mountaintop and you can see the next mountaintop. It's like that with data too. So you'll get bigger questions you'll start to ask. 
and you'll improve your implementation to make sure that you're measuring for those now. And so that's kind of the most important thing. I think that keeps the big data stuff away is that, that planning pillar. It's one of the core pillars that we talk about. Well, some of the big platforms, like if you read Facebook's instructions on digital marketing 101, they'll say, collect everything, throw it over to us. You and then you don't really have to pay attention to specific targeting or specific yeah. measuring. We've just yeah. got this black box that will sort through every possible piece of creative you can crank out and every possible targeting parameter. And yeah. there's no way you could do it. Just throw it in the mix and we'll do it. Is that a thing or can you, I, can you say how well that works? Yeah, I'd say it is a thing. And remember, they're very different scale, right? So for them, they've basically outsourced to all the marketers. Hey, listen, we can only collect so much data when people are on the Facebook platform. But if you guys want to go out there and send everything to us, we'll also hold it for you, right? And use it. Of course, they're, they're, it's in their interest to, for marketers to do that because everybody's sending everything to Facebook and then Facebook can use it to help you improve your own results. But they can also help that same data that you sent to them to help somebody else improve theirs, which is where they're getting it. They're leveraging all that. And they've got the scale to do that. So 100%, that's a thing. That said, the things that you send to Facebook, I think you send to th things to Facebook that are useful for you, right? I don't necessarily think you need to send everything to Facebook. But when you, when you think about how marketers is starting out, when you think about what the everything is, for most marketers, it's page views. It's what pages they're on. And measurement marketing is like a whole other level of behavior. So it's, it's you know, how far down the pages are they scrolling? Are they interacting with the video elements? That sort of stuff. And because you need to know that, like it's regardless of Facebook, you know, using it or not, I guess you can use it for Facebook for targeting and that's, but again, that's for your own purposes. So, you know, you'll, you'll see that in measurement marketing where people were look at a, like I say, a, a sales page or some sort of long form copy. They have to get through the page and there's some scroll and maybe the offers toward the bottom of the page where you can literally measure to the point where you see, and again, think about the conversation is what you're trying to hear, right? So you, you come down and the page loads, that's one conversation. Then there's, okay, I actually stayed on the page for 10 seconds. What's well, another sort of like, okay, now I'm in the room and I, I'm staying in the room. Then there's, I'm going to scroll down within a certain period of time. So now I'm actually showing that I'm interested in the messaging of whatever this page is. Then there is, let's look at the actual offer. And by look at, I mean, scroll to the point where the offer is there and it's visible in the browser for at least maybe five seconds. So that's some sort of intention where they're investigating the actual offer. Very different behavior than somebody who scrolls up, scrolls down off the page and leaves because that's not somebody who's actually interested in your stuff. Challenge is that's who people retarget a lot, right? And so you, you can, Facebook will retarget them and bother them on the internet forever when they weren't really interested. So when you measure properly, you can measure to the point where you're only focusing your message to the people who are actually receptive to hearing it so that it's useful for them. You know? And so it's a, co a combination of, yes, you're going to send it to Facebook. Yes, Facebook is certainly going to use that information to help somebody else too. And you're probably being helped by other people's data coming in. This is just big data with Facebook. But from a conversation perspective, it is incredibly useful to still measure for it. I wouldn't say don't measure for it and measure even more specifically so that you can have those very specific actions that you can take to say, okay, they're coming down the page, but they're not looking at the offer for at least five seconds, which means they don't, they're not ready for it. The messaging above that didn't prep them to actually do that. So, we're, so that's where I'm going to focus. I'm going to focus on my body copy. I'm not going to focus on my offer, right? Whereas if they look at the offer and they are investigating it by, by you, you seeing they're spending at least maybe five or six seconds on that section of the page, but then they don't click forward to the next step, that's them telling you, yeah, I get it. I saw what you had. I just wasn't interested. So maybe you got to go back to the offer and rework the offer a little bit. 
And that's how you know from a conversation perspective, how to adjust that messaging, that marketing to focus to get a better result that you're looking for. From a competitive point of view, are you concerned about that uh, data going over to other companies that might be better positioned to use it at all? No, because they, so we're feeding the data into the platform so that we can use it. Facebook is more than likely, if you just think about big data, you need, in order for any sort of AI or machine learning to work, you need massive, massive amounts of data so they can find patterns and trends. And us sending in, if they're interacting with a certain video at a certain point, and the way that we code that video in, we're sending in a custom event. So it basically, it's, it's being sent to Facebook in a unique way that we can identify, but not that a competitor has access to. So in other words, a competitor can't say, go find me an audience of people who go to measuremarketing.io and watch the third video down. Like They can't do that because they don't have access to that data. Only we do because it's our account that sent it to Facebook. And Facebook can't really effectively use that data for any other reason for other people because they don't know what it means either. Just from the algorithm's perspective, it sees how the things are coded in, but they're coded in our way, not a generic video event. So Facebook doesn't know it's a video. They just, they're just recording bits of data that we go back and use, but that they necessarily wouldn't be able to use, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, they know which clients it's coming from. So if the same person is tracked by a a log server vendor, by a web server vendor, by a big data database vendor, they'll pretty soon figure out, hey, this person's probably an architect or a CTO or, or something. Yeah. 100%. 100%. And for audience targeting, that's, that's totally different, right? So I can, I can go and say, I want to go find people that are interested in my products or services defined by people that are interested in measurement or analytics or Google Tag Manager or whatever else. And Facebook is totally building that database of prospects from all the pages that are using Facebook, right? So that's, that's absolutely where it's going from. But to be, you know, if the original question is, am I concerned about that from a, a competitor standpoint? I'm not because it's, for me, it's equal playing field. Like, yes, they, the people that kind of measure market IO are showing up in their audiences, but then their audience are also showing up in the ones that I'm focused on. So to me, it's like equal playing field. There's no, there's no advantage to, to one or the other, you know, which is what keeps it equal. So Mercer, in this highly dynamic landscape that you're working in, what are the ways that you go about learning? Right. How do you how do you learn in this space? How do you continue to stay aware of the, the shifts um, in how people work, the the shifts in how data is available, um, the shifts in the actions that people should take towards that data? I can't imagine this is a stationary no. set of rules yeah. that you just lay out and then play out for a couple of years. How do you, how do you as a person continue to learn in this space? It's a really good question because it's a combination of you want to stay up to date on the latest and greatest. At the same time, you also want to avoid the whole like squirrel thing, right? Where everyone's going off and chasing the next new thing without realizing you sort of have to stay rooted in this idea. And this is why I try to root it to this offline model as much as possible. Like, am I doing what I would do if I owned a, a shoe store? Like if, if that's how I'm marketing and I'm just doing that online, I'm totally cool with that. If I'm doing something that works online, but wouldn't, doesn't have an offline analog, tends to be trendy where it's around for a little while, but then it doesn't, it just sort of falls apart. And so that's, that's how I keep from like, I want to, I want to make sure it's useful, right? So I'll investigate things that are useful, things like the new app and web that Google Analytics is doing. They're, they're rebuilding, quite literally rebuilding Google Analytics in that. 
And so what they're doing, how Facebook is doing their Facebook analytics, how people are doing fingerprinting now and everything else for you know what's happening, data privacy and all that. So I, I'm aware of that. I don't go deep dive into it in, in some instances because it's not necessarily useful to me to do that. Right, like we're not big enough to worry about fingerprinting or any of that stuff. Other companies totally are. Best Buy probably is, right? The big enterprises probably are, but we're not. So, so I I am aware of it. I know that it's a thing, but I also know like that's not my problem to solve. So it's a give and take of being for me being aware, saying of the thing. So let's say app and web for Google Analytics, being aware that's a thing. Instantly ask myself, is this something that's useful to me now or will be in the near future? And if it is, then I'll start investigating it more playing around with it, practicing with it. You know, and I think app and web is a really good example because I'm not using that platform day to day right now, but I am aware of it. I've played with it. I've practiced it. We've done little courses on it in our, for our company and our students to help them learn it and practice it too, not to use it on a day to day because that platform's not ready for day to day use yet. Not really. The, other, the original analytics is still much better, but it will be in a year or two. I think a lot of people will be using it. So what, we're, what I'm doing now is prepping me so that in two years, I'll be using this thing on a daily basis, you know? So does, does that answer the question in terms of... It does. I mean, right, right at the end, it sounds a, a bit like you hedge sometimes on yeah. technologies and yeah. you make a bit of a gamble and I'm sure it pays off sometimes. And maybe other times you're like, well, <laughs> that wasn't quite what I thought it was going to be. Yeah, it's, it's exactly right. You, you, I, I use it to the point it's useful. And, and I think you're right in that I realize it's a hedge, right? So you reserve your right to change your mind. You know, something that we all need to have more of in the, in the States, especially, but just that idea of like, this is what I think today. And just because I think this is a thing today, it's at first place, right? So then after that, there's forecasting. This is the other thing that everybody skips. This is how you know if data is useful or not. It's the only way to really tell. Can you use it to forecast future events? If you cannot use it to forecast the future, it's irrelevant. It's not worth it. You can't, you literally can't use it. It's just interesting to know. And that's the death knell to, to anybody that's in data. Like you do not want to collect stuff just because maybe one day, because you just fill up hard drives, right? Needlessly. But if you can say, here's how I'm going to use this information, because I'm going to forecast that next week, based upon what I'm doing, my click-through rate to this next page or from this ad or to this next step or to become a lead or whatever it is, will increase by 15%. So instead of, you know, let's say 20%, maybe it increases to 22% or 23% as an average. Like you can forecast that. Then you measure against your forecasts. And because you're measuring for that conversation, you can literally see like, did the conversation change? Because that's what you're doing. You're forecasting the changes to that conversation. And in doing that, if you insert a new tool, if that tool doesn't help you forecast things better, if that tool doesn't help you optimize things better, if that tool doesn't help you collect information that you otherwise couldn't collect, you know, if that tool's not helping you to, to display answers in a way that you need, if that tool's not helping you plan out better questions, it's not worth using it. Right. So that, and that's kind of how I'll do it. I'll come through and say, is this a better way? For example, again, apps, apps and web. Google Apps and Web, I think, is a totally useful tool. It is redefining how they're going to measure things for the new generation of now that, because if we think about it, Google Analytics, when it first came out, mobile phones weren't a thing. Like it was just, you know, urchin, right? It was like page views, like there were hit counters. That's how we all measured analytics was hit counters. And you would refresh your page over and over again so you could fake the hit count to show that you were, you know, and that's why Google Analytics, they call them hits. That's, it's all legacy stuff, right? So that's how old that platform is. And they're literally rebuilding it now for this world of iOS and all these devices that are out there and everything else. So it's exciting what they're doing. But when you run it through that pillar concept, okay, I can answer some questions. I can build some reports, a little more complicated to get the reports. It doesn't really give me anything that I can get otherwise through the existing tools that I'm doing right now when it comes to forecasts. And it doesn't help me optimize anything else. So I look at it as, 
a potential thing that years from now will be more useful. So I'm not spending 12 hours a day in that platform right now, not that new platform. I'm still using the old one because it satisfies what I'm trying to do. But I do know it's got potential for the long term. So that's where it's like, it gets a little focus right now. And as time goes on, it'll get more and more of my focus, but I'm going to run it through the pillars. It'll help me answer better questions. It'll help me build better reports. It'll help me do better forecasts. And if it doesn't do that, I just won't use it. And I'm going to use what's actually useful. Yeah. Speaking of uh, next generations of technology, have you looked at any of the the proposed replacements for the third-party cookie at all, like uh, Google's Flock and TurtleDev? Honestly, not too much. And I'll tell you why. It goes back, for me, it goes back to the pillars. I technically can't change that anyway. I know it's Google's problem to solve and I know Google's going to solve it. I don't know exactly what it looks like yet. And I think there's a lot of, of solutions that are out there, but I don't know that any of them are going to impact me directly because it'll impact the platform before it impacts me. So meaning Google Analytics is going to have to figure out how to measure Google Analytics before I have to figure out how to measure it. Like the platform will do the, the heavy lifting. So for my personal focus as a company, I don't, I'm not caught up in that. Am I aware of some things that they're doing? Yup. You know, you go out to the measure camps or something like that. And you kind of, and it's, and it's literally for me, that is the interesting thing to know, but I don't, I don't deep dive into it. So I wouldn't be the best person to talk to in terms of like, what are the details of how they're doing it all? I just know that it's possible. I know it's out there. I know things are in flux. And yeah, I look at the battle between ITP and what Apple's doing and this whole like privacy centered thing. You see things that's coming out with Brave and what they were doing with their software. And then you're looking at what Google's doing and how it's, it's trying to figure out new and inventive solutions so that people have access, people from a marketing perspective, have access to the information they need so they can continue to measure for that conversation. But at the same time, it stays anonymized and, and retains privacy. You know? And then you also look at GDPR and what Brazil's doing, what California's doing, what the United States will surely do eventually and, and what that's going to look like, government. So I, I kind of look at it like I'm a spectator in the stands. And honestly, I don't participate at the deep dive level because it's so in flux. When I look at some of the open source audiences today, it's, it's interesting talking to people who run open source websites, whether they're project sites or documentation sites or open source startups and trying to figure out and, and hearing what percentage of the audiences of those sites tends to run privacy tools that block yeah. Google Analytics entirely. And yeah. so there's one site that was blocking 60%, 20, 28% uh, popular web development site where people are going to learn how to the latest CSS, JavaScript, and so on. They had 40% blocking Google Analytics. Yeah. Is there a metric for how measurable your audience is, kind of like a meta metric of how well the metrics work? That's a good, that's a good question. I don't know that there's an easy top line metric other than looking at the general trend of what people are doing. For us, I, I kind of, because that's, that's a popular question. It's like, well, if somebody's blocking analytics, like, oh my. But you get, again, you get the, the mindset is you're losing data. Like people are coming to the site and I don't know what they're doing. And now I'm blind. And you are to, the, to that extent for that one particular person. But your goal as a, as a measurement person is not to know what every single person is doing on the site. It's to know what enough of the people take a sample of what's happening on the site. Because if you think about statistics, it's how it works, right? When they do political polls, they're not 
calling up tens of thousands of people. You look at some of these sample sizes, you're like, man, how did they talk to a thousand people and decide what the country is going to do? But they do. That's just math and how numbers work. And it's the same thing. So I don't get too concerned currently with that happening where it's like, yeah, if half, if half my audience blocked stuff and I couldn't see it from a marketing perspective, I could still, I have half my audience. It's half, imagine talking to half the country about what their political polling would be. You know, you'd, you'd still have something useful to be able to, to adjust that conversation. As long as that maintains for me, I'm okay with it. And how do I yeah, know? And it depends useful? on the because audience too. Yeah. It really depends um, on the audience too. Yeah. One of the main ways Mercer and I actually met was because I had a very important case study, exactly like what you're talking about in the LGBTQ community. My first enterprise, so to speak, was a nonprofit organization called Rescue.net. And it catered specifically to people who weren't out yet in the LGBTQ space. So these were people who were intensely secretive in the ways they used the internet to access what in their stage in life was the most crucial, but also the most risky information. So then the question became, okay, how am I supposed to go to all of my funders or my other foundations or the nonprofits that are that actually have those resources and say, hey, I have this audience of people who aren't out yet, but I can't prove to you how many there are, what exactly they were doing, how they worked. Because if I installed Google Analytics or if I installed other measurement systems, it broke down a barrier of trust that was less important for me because it was about getting in and seeing this community, but intensely important to them. If they knew they were being tracked, they were gone just instantly. And it became this question of what exactly can I measure? What will the community allow me to measure that allows me to prove the point to the investors? And that was my purpose. That was the pillar that I built that community off of. Here's the plan. Here's how I can show them what's going on. How do I get that information without infringing on their level of trust with us? And what can we do? And that's what led ultimately to the social currency metric system and using qualitative data. I didn't collect everything under the sun in order to do it. I just found out what works for my community and then built from there. Yeah, I think that's, that's an important point because you're matching that, that audience, right? To, to matching their expectations. Yep. Yeah. Let's face it, your code is going to have errors, even code written by an amazing developer such as yourself. When bad things happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and cron monitoring into a single, easy-to-use platform, saving you time and cash. Honey Badger monitors and sends error alerts in real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding in your code, so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also let you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go AWOL or silently fail. Go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh and Ben created a 100% bootstrap monitoring solution. Why is this important? 
Self-funding means they only answer to you, the developer, rather than a venture capital overlord. As a ChaosCast listener, get 30% off for 6 months. Simply mention ChaosCast when you sign up and they'll apply the discount to your account. No credit card required. So this kind of does bring up a important question because we've been bouncing around the pillars. We've explained the pillars a lot, but there's a lot more of these concepts in measurementmarketing.io, the concept of the cave and your journey going into measurement. And I've used a lot of your idioms throughout our time here on ChaosCast as well. The difference between a dashboard and a report. Can you go through a few of the things that you think are most important for people who are trying to measure their communities, what should they know? Sure. So, you know, we talked about the pillars, right? It's planning, building, reporting, forecasting, and optimizing. Equally as important to that is the where you are from a measurement perspective. And, and by that, I mean your implementation, like what you're able to measure. So there are different stages. We call that the measurement journey. So you start off in the cave where you literally don't know what's going on at all, right? Lights are out. So your job in the cave is just to light stuff up. Like you got to at least find a flashlight and get out of the cave. So you get some visibility. You start using tools. Like that's what's happening. People aren't using them and they start using them. So like analytics or, you know, hot jar or something like that. Just something where they get some idea of what's working and what's not. Then at that point, when they're out of the cave, they're in what we call the valley visibility. And that's when they can actually look around and you spend some time there. That's, that's something that you spend a lot of time in the valley because you're learning to use the tools more. You start using, instead of just lighting up Google Analytics, now you realize you got to set up Google Analytics. So you might do different views. You set up goals. You start setting up UTMs and, and tagging your traffic. So you know if it's an email that they came to the site from, or was it Facebook, or was it Google search, or whatever it is, but you can see the difference now. And then you will eventually start asking bigger questions. So relating it to like a, a marketing standpoint, it might be, I've got leads coming in and I know that I, I am getting leads, but I've got two different leads. I have a, a video, free video series lead and I have a, here's my, your checklist lead. And which of those two leads is worth more? Well, analytics really can't answer that easily for you without a little bit of customization. So you can actually customize it, start doing some custom dimensions where that comes through. So that's where you go into the hills, right? So you're moving from the valley into the hills and you're improving your implementation. And then ultimately you hit what we call the summit where it's, it's that mountaintop where you might ask, a, like in the case of a, a profit marketer, they would be saying, okay, well, I need to know how much money I'm spending on my campaign, my ads, and I need to know at day zero, what are those leads worth? At day seven, at day 14, at day 30, at day 60, at day 90, because they want to know what's the velocity of return back to them based on that ad. And so that's a very simple question to ask and incredibly hard to get the answer because a lot of different data sources are coming in. You're transforming data, you're keying it together and everything else. It's complicated. It's hard to do from a measurement perspective. And so that's a very summit style question, right? Very complicated, you know, enterprise level type stuff. Baby implementations, when you're starting off in the cave and you just started using Google Analytics, you, you can't possibly answer that. You're not going to. It's a question you can't answer yet. So you, you constantly improve your implementation from turning it on to starting to use how the, the standard features that are part of the platform, you use those. Then you start moving into the customized features of the individual platforms. Then you start moving into, now I'm using all a bunch of different platforms that have all been customized and I'm reconfiguring all the data in the way that I need to see it to answer really high level questions. And that's kind of the summit. So that's kind of the journey that you go through. And your job is not to create this massive, gigantic implementation of just because you can, you, sh you should. Like That's not how it is. You deal with the questions that you're trying to answer and you build your implementation to answer those questions. Then 
you will start asking bigger questions naturally. And then your implementation will improve to answer those. And then you keep doing that in the journey. So that's the one thing is give, give yourself, especially when you're starting out, because these tools can be overwhelming really quickly for a lot of people. When you're just starting out, give yourself permission to not be perfect. Just because somebody else is measuring something with GA or with Google Analytics or Tag Manager, just because they're using Tag Manager doesn't mean you have to use Tag Manager. If you can get the answers you need right now with, with the tool that you have, focus on that. Get your win, right? So we call of our win courses, win courses, because you need to get your win. You need to feel progress and you need the usefulness of the tool. Because if you don't do that, what will happen is a lot of measurement teams do these deep dives. They never produce anything useful. And then management cuts it because they're like, this is ridiculous. I'm just trying to figure out a simple answer. Nobody can give me this answer. We're working this for six months. And it's because they keep improving things without actually using them. And so your goal is to just stay where you are, get the cave set up, get things lit up, get the basics in place. Then as you ask bigger questions, improve implementation and keep following that pattern. The, the other thing you were asking about some of the, the, the isms that we have and so one of those is truth is in the trend, powers in the pattern. Because it's one of the things when you're working with data that you very quickly learn. Like I have a firm belief that numbers do not matter at all. They don't matter. They are just a representation of behavior, right? That's all the numbers are. They're just a representation of behavior. And the cool part about numbers and specifically measurement is even if you measure in, incorrectly, right? So it's technically not accurate. So it's measuring incorrectly, whatever the behavior is. But you measure that consistently incorrectly, right? So you're measuring it the same way all the time. Even though you're measuring it incorrectly, you're measuring the same thing all the time, the same consistency, the trend will actually be the same because if you measure it correctly, you'll, see, you'll still be able to see that same trend in most cases. And so that's where it's like, okay, I'm going to not get caught up in what my bounce rate is because that's just the number and it doesn't really matter. But I will understand that this page has twice as much engagement as this other page or that this page is a 10th of the engagement of my overall site because that's trending and it shows you patterns and you start getting a, a story. And instead of just looking at a bunch of numbers, especially if you're not a numbers person, it's hard to look at analytics or a table of data and see just a ton of numbers and know what to do with it. But when you understand how to read it, right? When you, you can look at this table and you go, okay, the numbers don't matter. There's just trends and patterns. And that's what you start looking for. All of a sudden it does tell you a story of Facebook traffic is really good at coming to the page and getting aware, but they don't engage. But then my retargeting on Google ads is actually what gets them to engage. And then my emails would actually get them to close the deal. And you can see that story show up through numbers, but you're not getting caught up in the numbers. It's what they represent. It's the trends and the patterns. That's why we always say truth is in the trend, power is in the pattern. And then to the point of dashboards, I think you're asking about too, like when you, when you talk about dashboards, it's dashboards should be there to deliver answers. And that's it. Not to overwhelm with data. Most people take dashboards, they take their ugly Google Analytics tables, they put them into a dashboarding platform, whether it's Google Data Studio, which is free, highly recommended, it's great, or paid programs that are out there, and they just make those tables prettier, right? They just add colors to them. And so the problem with that is you're still overwhelming. You're, you're not, it's not designed to answer questions. It's designed to provide information. And there's a huge chasm of difference there. If I just give you a bunch of information, it's up to you to figure out how to use it. But if I just tell you, oh, hey, yeah, this is the answer, you can get to the action you need to take faster. So whether that's instead of just a table of information, you got to figure out the conversion rates versus me just saying, here's the conversion rate, right? And this is, this is, a, good, this is a good number. So you can use like conditional formatting or something to say, you know, hey, this is a 9% conversion rate. You need it to be between 8 and 12. So you're good right now. That's good. You know what action to take? Scale because it's working. So scale the audience. And it comes in with a conversion rate's too low, right? Then you go, okay, it goes red. And you're like, okay, that conversion rate's not great. So I'm not going to worry about scaling the audience. I'm going to go work on the messaging. Why is the current audience not converting? And then the other issue is maybe it goes too high. 
Maybe the, because there was such a thing as numbers can be too good. And so you go to the conversion, it's too high and you go, well, what's going on? Ah, it's because it's the perfect audience. I can't scale the audience anymore. It's the exact right audience. And that's a problem. So, you know, but either way you can see in the, the dashboard itself, the answer that you get immediately can lead to an action. And that's what you're trying to get to. You don't need numbers for numbers sake. You don't need more information. The world has plenty of information. It does not need more. What it needs is answers and, and helping to get dashboards to that point where when you think about it like a car dashboard, where you, if you're in your car, you look at your speedometer, you do not have to analyze your speedometer because if you did, you would crash, right? You just instantly look at it and you go, I need to hit the gas or hit the brake. And that's the idea is making measurement that simple. And I think it totally can be that simple if you know how to use these tools in, a, in that way so that they can just provide for you very simple answers that you can take action on. That's the idea. So I have a, a question here. We'll see how, how well this, this goes. So um, listening to you talk more, sir, there's kind of this approach of this goal question metric and then this ultimate action. Have you, have you run into cases where uh, the action is just too difficult to take Right. Where sometimes it's hard to move people and it's hard to move organizations or it's hard to move communities. So the action might be something that's out of reach for people know they should do it, but they just can't do it. So I so here's here's I'll answer that. So and if you have specifics, definitely give me some specifics. I can can give you more specific. But here's the pattern I would use for this. And it's, it's one of our other isms. It's called results and how. So you need to measure your results. And that's what people naturally do. So in the point of a a regular traditional marketer, they might measure to the sale that was made, whatever the sale is, right? Whatever the widget is they sold and how much they sold it for and everything else. But that's all they do is they measure for that. And to your point, it's the end result they're trying to get. They measure to the end result and they, they know if they hit the end result, but that's it. And what's more important than the result is to measure how you got there, the steps they were supposed to take to get there. So as an example, on, on our pages, we quite literally measure on our, on our offer pages. I measure impressions, which is when the page first loads, that's how we define it. When the page first loads, we know they've loaded up, they have, they've been, that literally was an impression of that offer. But I don't know if they got there by accident, if they even meant to be there or anything like that. So I wait 10 seconds. And after 10 seconds, we fire another event that says, okay, at this point, they're still sticking around. So it's the equivalent of them walking into the shoe store, again, thinking offline, walking them into the shoe store and them actually going and looking towards shoes versus going, oh, wait, I thought this was the nail salon. I'm out of here. Well, I wouldn't want to send a salesperson and follow them into the nail salon and try to get them to buy shoes because they made a mistake. I don't want to tell Facebook to go retarget them for the same reason. So we wait till they're introduced and they start you know, looking around. Then we measure for interest, which for us would be they scroll about halfway down the page within, let's say, 30 seconds. So now there's some interest in the messaging and we're, we're measuring for that specific behavior. And then we will measure for, did they actually investigate the offer? So again, that goes back to the time that that particular offer was visible in the viewable browser. And then did they click? Did they initiate to go to the next stage, which would typically be like a cart or something like that to go purchase? So because now, yes, we still are measuring for the sale, the ultimate sale at first. But think about this, the conversation that we can see versus what a traditional measurement person could see, right? Is the, traditionally, the people are just measuring for the sales. So if I was that kind of traditional route, I would come to you if you were my manager and say, hey, how many widgets have we sold? We didn't sell any. Why not? I don't know. I'm not into it. I don't know. That's all I know. But if you come back and say, I say, well, we didn't sell any widgets. And what's happening is they're coming into the page, they're sticking around for a little while, they are showing interest and they're investigating the offer, but none of them are clicking through. 
then we all know as a company, this is why they didn't take the step because I can see it. And that's, that's how I would answer your question. If, if you have this big thing that you're not able to get people to take the action, then my question is, okay, well, what are the seven steps that lead to that action? Because that's what you need to measure for. Because then you can see where you're losing them in the conversation. Did they come into the page and immediately leave? Because if that was the answer, and that's why I'm not selling widgets, because they come to the page and they leave, they're not even introduced. I've got horrible problems with my targeting. And I know to go focus on that has nothing to do with the page. There's some issues with the targeting of the audience. The expectation that they're coming into my page for is clearly not being met, probably because the audience targeting or the message is weird on the ad. Maybe it's a broken link or whatever else, right? So, but I know where to focus because I can see this is the little micro commitment that I have to measure for so that I can get the ultimate result that I want. So that, and that's how I would do that. I would say, if you're not getting the action you want, then look at the how that's supposed to happen. How are you supposed to do it? And this is an important key point. In measurement, don't look at your data. This is the other tendency. People go back and say, oh, I'm going to go look at my data and figure out what's going on. I already lost the battle. You're going to get overwhelmed by that. Instead, you go, did this thing work like it was supposed to? And you look in your data to see, did the machinery work like it was supposed to work? Did they come into the page? Did they stay 10 seconds? Did they investigate by watching half of the video or whatever the thing is that was the next journey, right? In your case, it might be they have to go to the blog and they have to do some content to understand what's going on. And did they do that? Did they, did they give me a signal that they're with me at this point? And if that's where they bailed, you know, okay, well, that's where I'm losing them. No, of course, they're not going to take the big action I want them to take because I lost them halfway through. But at least you know that's where the conversation stopped so you can adjust that part of the process. But does that, does that help at all? I'm happy to help with if you have a, a more specific example. Well, a lot of open source projects have so many touch points where in the process of the customer journey for an open source project, you might read some documentation and then there's mm -hmm. going to be probably a software download, possibly yeah. a software build. And then in order to get it working, that person may spend significant time on a documentation site, uh, cutting and pasting examples or going through multiple pages. So it seems like there's a lot of opportunities in a highly technical project or in if the product is technical and requires a lot of information it seems like there are a lot of the kind of touch points you're talking about where you can see where people are sticking with it or falling through the cracks it's exactly right so to take that exact same scenario to like the the marketing world the traditional marketing world it'd be like an e-commerce store so in direct response, marketers, you have this very like, go to this page, then this page, then this page. And it's a very linear step one, step two, step three. That's super easy to measure for. In e-commerce, a little harder because they're flowing through it from different angles, coming in. Some are seeing collection pin category pages. Other people are seeing product detail pages. Some people added the cart and there's a multi-stage checkout process. And so to your point, you measure the stages of that, not necessarily the specifics thing on a certain page, because that may not be useful to you, but you can sort of level it up and say, how many people started you know, investigating the documentation? How many people actually did to do the downloads? However, they did that. But did they do that? Because that's a necessary stage for them to actually do whatever their final action is that you want. I think it's 100% right. And I really, really love this conversation. But we are getting to the end of the podcast. And I think that Don does bring up a really important point regarding how is this really going to allow us to measure community health in open source communities. So I guess... This makes a really good transition to discuss how these theories and how the future of measurement, Mercer has outlined it, is really going to impact chaos. Uh, maybe this is more of a question for you, Matt and Don, but maybe it's worth exploring because chaos is providing so many metrics, a giant toolbox 
And all of these communities that we're looking to measure have to find that journey, have to use those pillars. How do you think this will impact what chaos looks like? So listening to you talk, Mercer, one of the correlates that I'm seeing with open source is a lot of the downstream use, perhaps, of the software that comes out of a community. Another is trying to convert those people to contributors mm-hmm. of the community. So kind of these, not necessarily the inner workings of the project itself, but kind of these um, downstream relationships that the community is trying to establish. So in an open source project, right, is if we develop software in a project, our goal is to ultimately have that software used somewhere in the world um, and make an impact. You know, the uh, if you build it, they will come mentality doesn't work uh, real well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of what you're talking about, I think, has has correlates here. You had alluded to the the nonlinearity of of much of this work. So, so I think a challenge in open source is if we're thinking about how we convert contributors or convert users to contributors, or if we think about people downloading and using the software, how do we get there and make improvements there in this highly nonlinear space? And this is a real challenge. And there, there may be metrics kind of upstream or, or, or things that we worry about prior to just looking at the number of times a piece of software is downloaded. So kind of that whole path of how we think about the use of software from open source. I'd say, again, I would break it down to results and how. So what's the end result you're looking for? What are the steps they have to go through? So again, relating it to an e-commerce, I'll give you another example in a second here, but relating to e-commerce, do they have to see a category style page to buy something? No, they can come and see the, but they have to see a product detail page of some sort to be able to add to cart, which they also have to do, to be able to do checkout, which they also have to do, to be able to fill out their payment details, which they also have to do in order to get a purchase. So find those things that they have to do and use those as your cores, right? First, I think that's the easiest. The other example I'll give you is a membership site. So just kind of what I think is the closest analog to what you're talking about with open source. So I've got a membership site. We've got courses in there. Part of the membership site, we've got winner's uh, circle. In fact, this is being built out in our, in our new membership site where it's peer-generated content, which is kind of what you're talking about, right? It's peers generating the content for other peers to use. And so we'll have the winner's circle community. And do I, I want to get people active in those groups and helping each other answer their questions and creating more questions and getting interaction and sharing tips and everything else. So in order for me to do that, I have to measure for what's currently happening. And so what we could do is set up systems. Again, it depends on the tech, obviously, but the idea that we could set up a system where the members area, if you've, if you've never posted before, I know that, right? I'll know that when you log in, there's in tag manager or something called the data layer. The data layer can identify, okay, this is just a new person hasn't posted yet. So because I know that, I could create a little Facebook ad that might say, hey, you know, make sure to do your first post or make sure to use Ask Instructor Support or whatever the thing is. Because I know that, I could have my email system say, hey, it doesn't look like you've posted yet. Make sure you do that first question because here's some suggestions to do. And here's some copy and paste things. You can get the process started. Because I'm, I know who I'm talking to. And I know the, not the end result. Like maybe my end result is I want them to upgrade their membership. But the initial result I need them, the how step is I need them to participate first. 
So all my marketing, which is the messaging side, remember it's the whole concept of listening and responding. So that messaging, that responding part is all catered to a specific person or type of person, which is the behavior of I'm new and haven't posted yet. Now, as you level up, right? The system will know that you've leveled up through different badging or whatever else comes through. And this system, because the system's doing that, can tell the measurement platforms, whatever that is, that that's happened. So now the conversation in Facebook ads or my emails or whatever else doesn't say, go to your first post anymore because it knows you've done the first post. Now it's, hey, you're a super contributor. You know, here's some questions that people have been asking this past week. I wonder if you could go help, right? And now I'm encouraging them to do that, but that's because the messaging changed based upon the listening to the conversation that was happening. So I don't know if that, if that helps at all, but that's what I would do is, is figure out what your core steps are, figure out how to listen for those, and then figure out, okay, again, tying, tying it back to action. When this number comes back, when somebody's new, like if, if, I, if I was going through this process and said, well, if I knew somebody was new, what would I do? And I was like, well, I can't do anything because my tech doesn't allow me to do that. Okay, and it's not worth measuring. But if I can do something, which we can, then I will measure for it because it's useful. So I'm not measuring that just because I thought it was a good idea. I'm measuring it because it leads to a specific action in terms of the messaging that's happening to that particular stage. And once that stage gets completed and they achieve that little micro commitment that I needed them to do to move forward through the results and how steps, then I'm done with that messaging. It switched over with something else. All right. Well, I don't know about all of you, but my, my mind is officially toast. It's, it's just burnt. So this is all incredibly good content. Thank you so much, Mercer. And as we come to the end of the podcast, we have something that we tend to do called picks. So essentially, all these are is what's going on in your universe that you think would be very helpful for all of our chaos listeners. So what I'd like to do is just go through several picks. We'll go ahead and start with you, Matt. Where are you? What's happening in your universe? What's your pick? I'm not sure it will be helpful for chaos listeners. However, <laughs> I've been running quite a bit lately. I've been running for many, many years, but the numbers have gone up lately to help clear the mind. In addition to having a, a new dog, uh, which is a border collie, which is a quite energetic dog. So I'm not sure if it's me that needs more running or if I'm running because my dog simply needs to be. <laughs> to, you know, kind of tired out so that the rest of the day is somewhat peaceful in the house. Yeah, the doggos are incredibly important to maintain some level of mental health and connection. They are, no doubt about that. They keep it real. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Uh, how about you, Don? Oh, I've been just doing some spring cleaning, maybe call that delayed spring cleaning on my development systems. I've just found that there are certain open source projects that you can never quite get built the same way twice because you've got different versions of the packages and the tools set up. So I'm just containerizing things. Found this new tool called Earthly, which is a sort of like make for containers that lets you drive a containerized build. And so I'm playing with that, using it to do some gnarly builds that have GPG in them and so on. So fun stuff, getting organized. All right, wonderful. And I guess I will go next um, is the importance, and I say this because Mercer is here, the importance of having an information diet. A lot of people in a lot of different spaces online, you're getting so much information and it's really, really difficult to figure out what to do with that information. You have to make it 
useful to you and you also have to make it true for you. And there are a lot of cases where there's a certain lethargy to learning when you're tired or exhausted or stuck in areas. So building out an information diet where you're exposed to information that you know you'll find useful regardless of whether you want it or not at any particular point in time is really, really handy. So start building out what you think an information diet needs to look like for you to be well-rounded and personal, emotional, and also professional life. I think for, for mine, I'll, I'll give you two. One is just because Matt just reminded me about it, but a walking treadmill is like, I love trying to leverage as oh, much I as I can. In the one second that I'm working, what else can I do at that time? If I can like lift a weight or a stretch or something while I'm working so much better, walking treadmills are awesome. Get another one for the dog. Plus, you'd have a viral YouTube video at that point, I think. That would be awesome. <laughs> just what I need. The second thing, it kind of, you know, just kind of going off, Vinay, what you were talking about is the, that information is just so much information. And more than ever before, we can't just take the information that we read or see or watch and then make, pretend that's a thing. You have to have some sort of critical thinking skill behind it and, and just kind of go like, okay, is this thing true? And let's see what the numbers say. And you know, if I, if I see this repeated over and over and over again through a wide variety, maybe it's useful, maybe it's not. But one thing specifically what's going on with like news and politics and everything else, there's a, a startup called Nowhere that I like a lot. So it's K-N-O-W. So no as in to know, Nowhere. And it's called Nowhere Briefing. It's free to sign up for. And what they do is they have these algorithms that pull and they say, well, here's the story of whatever happened in politics. This is the story from the right this is the story from the left. Or here's the story that came out of China. Here's the story, if it's pro-China, here's the story that's anti-China. You know? And so you get, you get your stories, you get all your briefings, and it's quick to get through, but from two different perspectives right there. So you can kind of see like, okay, the middle, you know, the truth is always somewhere in the middle, but that concept of being able to see both sides without being in the bubble of either one, I really, really like. So that would be like my you know, non-measurement oriented, but kind of measurement oriented, like to help improve critical thinking is get, expose yourself to different ideas. That's a great way to do it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And I think that in, in a world with such big data and so much going on, that's a really, really important pick. But I think the one thing that pulled out there was the treadmill for the dog. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see that. Absolutely. Guilty, guilty. A little small mini one would be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Well, Mercer, thank you so much for joining Don, Matt, and I today. It was a huge podcast. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of value. So to our listeners, if you'd like to stay up to date on future episodes, subscribe for free to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. And if you have any ideas for future episode topics or would even like to come on as a guest, please email us at podcast at chaos.community. We hope you enjoyed this episode and until next time, this is your chaos community. Thank you so much. Have a great day.